Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 86. The secrets of being more productive in life and business. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hey, Pam. As always, it's wonderful to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if you're listening for the first time, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to the next level of growth and success. So Pam, what are we exploring today? The secrets of becoming more productive in life and business. That's a good thing. You know, so many people we speak with tell us how they constantly push themselves to be even more productive in the face of all the growing demands. Yeah. However, it's all too easy to just get busier and still not accomplish the things that we really want and need, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So in order to break out of this paradox, we need to change the game on what it takes to be productive in every aspect of our life and business. It's Mm, all one thing. And our guest today has taken an in-depth look at this issue. He is Charles Duhigg, a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter for The New York Times and author of the books The Power of Habit, which we reviewed in episode 40, and Smarter, Faster, Better, which has been newly released. He's also a winner of the National Academies of Sciences, National Journalism, and George Polk Awards. A graduate of Harvard Business School and Yale College, he has been a frequent contributor or guest on The Colbert Report, NPR's This American Life, Frontline, and other programs. In addition to all of this, Charles has a personal life. Uh-huh. He lives in Brooklyn with his wife and two children. Charles, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thanks for having me on. So what prompted you to investigate the science of productivity and write Smarter, Faster, Better? Well, this started um, about five years ago, or or I guess about four years ago now. My first book, The Power of Habit, about the science of habit formation, had just Mm -hmm. come out. And I I imagined that not that many people would read it. And what happened is I got very lucky, and a lot of people enjoyed it and were reading it. And at the same time, I I was working at the Times as a reporter. And I was working on a series about Apple and, and mm-hmm. using Apple as a lens for understanding the global economy and, and looking at things like working conditions in Chinese factories. And, and that's the series that went on to win the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. And so professionally, I was having this fantastic year. And I would come home every night you know, to my family. I have two kids and, and would sit down and have dinner with them and with my wife. And I would say to my wife, you know, if this is what success feels like, then like sign me back up for failure because this is the worst <laughs> lifestyle ever. I felt like I was working all the time. Like yeah. I would come home and all I really wanted to do was hang out with my kids and put them to bed mm-hmm. and read them stories. And I would have, you know, a hundred emails to deal with and yeah. all of these things that I tried to get done at work that I hadn't had time to do. And I just like felt so overwhelmed by how much there was. Mm, the and, busier and I, started, I am, the behinder I get. That's yeah. exactly right. I was yeah. I was running 
running harder and harder and felt like I was falling farther and farther behind. And so I started looking around and I felt like there were these other people I could point to who were much more successful than I am, seemed much more productive than I did. And, you know, they also only have 24 hours in each day and they always seemed kind of relaxed and not stressed out. And so I thought, well, I want to start talking to researchers and to talking to, to those people themselves to try and figure out why are they so much more productive than I am. And what I found mm -hmm. is that there are reasons why some people are more productive than others. And so that became the book. Okay. So we have all kinds of tools for communication, technology, management techniques. And yet you're saying that all these things, they're not necessarily the real answer to struggling to be truly productive. Well, that's exactly right. So, so what we what we know, I mean, productivity, personal productivity, and and why some companies are more productive than others, has been studied by literally thousands of researchers. Right. And what they found is that consistently, it's not because of this one hack, right? It's not because someone uses the right scheduling software. It's because the most productive people in companies teach themselves to think slightly differently. They mm -hmm. teach themselves to essentially think more deeply about the choices that they're making. And as a result, they see these insights like, this is how I remain focused on my priorities. Instead of simply being busy, I want to be productive. Or this is how I, I get my teams to work together better. Or this is how I can become innovative on demand. And it's that act of thinking differently that really changes everything. So at the core of your book, uh, as we are going through it, are eight key concepts about influencing productivity. What would you say is the underlying principle that ties all these concepts together? Well, the underlying principle is this act of thinking more deeply. So, so when we talk about thinking, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, because if I say to folks, you should think more deeply, everyone will say, yes, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that telling ourselves to think more deeply actually does not usually result in us thinking more deeply. You don't so know what, what to think about, in, right? In order to actually push ourselves to think more deeply, we, ne we need what psychologists refer to as contemplative routines. These mm -hmm. habits or practices that allow us to think more deeply. Now, so for, for some people, that means, for instance, engaging in some type of meditative practice, right? Maybe you take a bath in the morning and you think about everything you've got coming up. Or, you, or every Sunday, you sit down and you kind of, you know, work, work on your schedule for a little bit. But for many other people, and for most other people, frankly... Contemplative routines are much more active rather than passive. Mm -hmm. They're types of things like I'm in the habit of having a conversation, maybe almost a, an argument with folks at my work about what we ought to be doing next. Because that practice, that habit of challenging each other about what our priorities ought to be mm -hmm. helps us to, pushes us more to think more deeply about it. Or perhaps it's something like, I tell myself stories about my day as my day occurs, which psychologists refer to as constructing mental models mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. pushes me to think about what I expect to have happen and how I want to react to it. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it really comes down to choice. It's I'm thinking about things maybe in a new way, but where I choose to put my attention, where I choose to put my time, the choices I make in interacting with others, that really is the bottom line, yes? That's right, that's right. And, and not just choice, but taking control, right? Because there is so much about contemporary life that can be purely reactive. Yeah. Y you could sit down at your computer and you could spend the entire day replying to emails <laughs> and, and feel like you've been productive, but get nothing important done. Mm 
Yeah. And the, the pushing yourself to not only make a choice, but to say, I am going to choose to be in control of how I spend my time, of what my priorities are, of how I'm going to think about managing my team. Mm-hmm. Those are those are all at the core of why some people are more productive than others. So it's thinking differently and making new choices that are more effective as well as efficient in many ways. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we'll speak more with Charles Duhigg, author of Smarter, Faster, Better, and dig deeper into some of the principles he's found that elevate our levels of personal and business productivity. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. We enable successful leaders and their companies to accelerate to their next level of growth and success by changing the game. If you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 86, and use the share links for Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter on the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Scott and I are speaking with Charles Duhigg, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter for the New York Times and author of The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. Charles, how can people find out more about you and your books? If they just Google Smarter, Faster, Better or The Power of Habit or Charles Duhigg, I'll, I'll come up. You know, both the books are also sold at Amazon and at all the book booksellers that you normally go to. So So those are good places for people to get in the habit of going. That's exactly right. And you can find links and other information by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 86, and scrolling down to resources. Back to our conversation. In the first segment, we discussed some of the overarching principles underlying peak productivity. So we're going to dig deeper into some of the foundational ideas that you lay out in your book. And you make the point that the right kind of focus is critical to performance in any situation. How do we determine what to focus on and what to ignore, especially when so many of us are overwhelmed with these distractions of the urgent and important? So what we know about how our brain works and how our brain focuses is that we tend to choose within milliseconds of Mm -hmm. a, a potential distraction coming up, whether to pay attention to it, by relying on what are known as mental models. And, and the best way to think about mental models is mental models are kind of like the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves as our day goes along. So a lot of what we know about mental models comes from studying people like firefighters. There's this question like, why are some firefighters so good at predicting where a danger might lie in a building that's on fire? And what mm-hmm. researchers found is that the best firefighters, they walk into a burning building and they immediately start telling themselves a story about what they're seeing. They say to themselves, okay, I." I expect it walking into this room to see that the the right corner is going to be on fire and then in the left corner there's probably going to be a staircase and that staircase is going to be burning faster than anything else because staircases tend to burn hotter and then when they walk into that room they look at the right corner matches up with expectations they look at the Mm -hmm. left corner and and there's fewer flames that they expect on the stairway and so something in their brain says okay 
pay attention to that stairway. Something is wrong with that stairway. Don't go walk up it because it's not what you expected. They tell themselves these stories to build mental models. Now contrast mm -hmm. that with say walking into your office first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. right? You walk in your office, Nothing's on fire, hopefully, if you, unless something's going really wrong. <laughs> we hope. But your phone is buzzing in your pocket. You've got 100 emails waiting for you. Mm -hmm. The phone on your desk is ringing. There's someone stopping by your office asking if you can come to this emergency meeting. There's so much potential overwhelming inputs that it can be really, really distracting. And so yes. what we found is that the best executives, they tend to tell themselves a story. And they tend to visualize the coming day with just like half an inch more specificity than everyone else. So most mm -hmm. of us, we look at our schedule and we say, oh, okay, I've got a meeting from 10 to 11. So I, I need to be ready for that. But the best executives, what they do is they say, oh, I've got a meeting from 10 to 11. You know, actually, I think the way that meeting is going to start is that Paul's going to bring up that stupid idea he always brings up. And then Susie, Susie's going to disagree <laughs> with him because she always uh -huh. disagrees with him. And then if I jump in with my idea at that moment... I'm going to like win the meeting, right? Now, it doesn't mm -hmm. take much effort to tell yourself this story about what you expect to occur. But mm -hmm. by doing so, you actually essentially program your brain to decide ahead of time what to pay attention to and what you can safely ignore in mm -hmm. ways that allow you to maintain your focus. Does focusing on or, or imagining the outcomes you desire, is that part of this mental model? Yeah, yeah, I think so, because I think that the act of sort of visualizing how you want things to go, that that, that allows you to work backwards a little bit and say, okay, if I want to get to this place, what are the intermediate steps that I need to pay attention to, right? Mm -hmm. it, you know, what my boss says to me at that meeting, that probably matters a lot. But what some coworker thinks about like, you know, some random idea, I don't, I don't need to get distracted by that. I don't have to respond mm -hmm. to that. Basically, our brain has only so much bandwidth for actually processing information. And, and if you have to make decisions in the moment, it uses up some of your brain's bandwidth. It tires out your brain. So the right. act of telling yourself a story ahead of time or building a mental model, it allows you to make some of those decisions when you're not in the heat of the moment. And as a result, you have more brain power to focus on the things that really matter to you, to okay. avoid getting distracted. Okay, so this really dovetails into decision-making and deciding what the right thing to do is on a larger scale, not just do I answer my phone or do I respond to email. And sometimes we have so much ambiguity. I mean, we live in a world of paradox. We live in a world of ambiguity. Trying to figure out the right thing to do is a real issue. And we see it all the time. Uh, people in business say, we, we should be doing this product or we should be paying attention to this customer or this problem is happening and they might actually be paying attention to the wrong thing or using the wrong kind of inputs to make their decisions. That's right. How, how can people be more productive and get higher quality decisions, especially when stakes are really high? In the book, there's a whole chapter on decision-making, and, and I explore the ideas behind this, and particularly the neurology of decision-making, right. through the story of Annie Duke, who's one of the, the most well-known professional poker players on Earth. And, and what's interesting mm -hmm. about Annie is that she was actually in a PhD program to study neurosciences before she dropped out, with just months ago before getting her PhD, to become a professional poker player. And one of the things that she loved about professional poker players is that she understood that the way that you win at poker is by becoming more comfortable with ambiguity. 
you know, mediocre poker players, what they do is they look for the certainty at the poker table. Right. They, they know what cards they have. They try and guess with absolute certainty what cards other people have. And then they bet on that. The best poker players, what they do is they say, what do I know and what do I not know? And one of the best ways to use this to make decisions, a way to sort of operationalize this, is to, to make decisions by trying to imagine multiple contradictory futures. Right. And then asking yourself, what do I think is more or less likely to come true? So mm-hmm. one of the best ways of thinking about this is, is when people decide to get married. Right? When most people are deciding, should I propose to this person that I've been dating? Mm-hmm. They think of the future as having a kind of binary possibility. Either you, you're in love and you get married and you live happily ever after, or, or you're not perfect for each other. Mm-hmm. You get married and you get divorced and it was a terrible mistake. But we all know that's not actually how life works, right? Right. The truth of the matter is that, like, the person that you're dating, are they the the one right person for you? Well, they're probably a pretty good person for you. There might be three or four people in this world who are better for you. And there's probably two or three hundred who are worse for you. And and you don't know exactly, exactly, is this person perfect? But you can probably start figuring out how close to perfect are they? You know, if if I am going to have to spend another twenty years looking for someone who's better than this person, then clearly I should I should I should marry this person who's right, right. with me right now. Now that's right. less romantic than this storybook, but that's the right way of making decisions. That's how the most productive people make decisions. So risk it's, benefit analysis. It's but it's more than risk benefit analysis because what it's really saying is. There are multiple possible futures right. okay. that we might right. inhabit. Yes. And yes. the only way that we really become in touch with them, that we get close to them, is by admitting to ourselves, there's there's 10 possible things that might happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Which of them are more or less likely? Right. And how should I how should I change my choices based on that? Mm-hmm. So ambiguity is where it's at. We have to believe and really see all the possibilities that are there, or as many as we can imagine. Or at least acknowledge that they exist because they yeah. might give us a clue as to what matters mm-hmm. and what matters less. Yeah. Okay. Certainty sometimes can be our worst enemy. Absolutely, because our brain craves certainty, right? It, yeah. it, it feels good to be able to say, I made exactly the right choice. It, you know, it could not have turned out better. But, but actually, in terms <laughs> of making good decisions, mm-hmm. what we should say is, I think I made the best choice. But you know what? I, there's a lot that I don't know, and so I made the best choice that I could with the information I had. Okay, so that's another interesting aspect to it. Now, you also in the book talk about innovation, and what does it take to increase productivity and the impact of our creative process? Well, yeah, so in the book, I tell the story of Frozen, the massive blockbuster that mm-hmm. Disney, a movie that Disney made. And Let most people go. know <laughs> Frozen as this big blockbuster. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. But what, what they don't realize is that Frozen was on the brink of catastrophe until just months before it appeared in, in theaters. Amazing. And, and the reason why Disney was able to make that movie work was because Disney does not believe that some people are more creative or innovative than others. Instead, mm-hmm. they believe that there is a process for creativity. And if you commit to that process, you will find a creative answer. You will achieve innovation. Mm-hmm. And so what's that process? Well, at the core of this process is this basic idea known as being an innovation broker. That our most creative ideas, they tend to come from taking 
ideas that are almost cliched, ideas that, that all of us are exposed to every day and combining them in novel right. ways. So it's right. not the idea itself that's so new and innovative. It's the combination of old ideas. So, mm -hmm. for instance, with Frozen, they were basically having this big problem where they were they just couldn't get the script right. They couldn't figure out how to tell the story. In some of the early drafts of Frozen, the the one of one of the characters was a was an ice queen, and she lived up in the mountains, and she was a terrible human being. And then they tried another one where these two girls were strangers, and and they were competing for the throne. And eventually, they sat everyone down in a meeting, and they said, "Look, this just isn't working. We need to figure out like what ideas do we know that we can combine in new ways." And they mm -hmm. sat down, they had this big meeting, and, and some of the people at the table said, well, look, one of the ideas that Disney knows is princesses, right? We know mm -hmm. princesses better than anyone else. And, and so they said, okay, princesses is one of those ideas. And, and the second idea is they went around and they asked people, what, what matters to you? What story do you really want to tell? Now, there was an unusually large number of women working on the Frozen project. In fact, the co-director of Frozen is the first female director in Disney's history. Mm -hmm. And as they're going around the table and they're talking about these ideas... The, a number of the women kept on saying, you know, I really want to tell a story about sisters. Because the thing about sisters is that it's a cliche about sisters, you know, like there's many novels written about sisters. But, but sisters are interesting and they're complicated. It's usually not that like one sister is good and one is bad. It's that, it's that they come together and then they fall apart and then they come together again. Like it's just a complicated, interesting relationship. And so someone said, look, what if we took these two ideas of sisters and princesses? And what if we combined them? And once mm -hmm. they did that, it opened up all these creative possibilities. Because now, instead of having the prince save the princess, now you can have two princesses, two sisters, save each other. And that means that you can make the prince the bad guy, but you don't have to reveal that to the very end of the movie. Mm -hmm. They took these two cliched ideas and they combined them in a new way. And that's what made Frozen feel mm -hmm. so creative and innovative and made it so popular. Innovation brokerage is really about taking two ideas that you might not even know are related to each other mm -hmm. and bringing them together in a way that's kind of unexpected. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is so empowering is because anyone can do this, right? You don't have to be some artist who like has like these visions to be creative. You just need to be someone who thinks about your own experiences and says, you know, I like to build mobiles and I like mm -hmm. to cook. So mm -hmm. what if I made an art artistic mobile out of kitchen implements? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And what also helps a lot, and you came out in your book and in your story, is getting multiple perspectives and really encouraging conversation in a, in a trusting environment so that all these ideas come out and you can really mix things up. Otherwise, you've just got one thing or, or the cliched thing over and over. That's exactly right. And, and what's really interesting about this is that when we look at entrepreneurs in particular, one of the characteristics that most successful entrepreneurs seem to share is that they're very, very interested in failure why yeah. other people have failed. Because it's very natural for us to pay a lot of attention to success. And in fact, relying on marriage. You know, when a, when a friend says that they're going to get engaged or they're going to get married, we have all these questions. We say like, you know, how did you decide that you were in love with her? And, and how, did you, how did you pop the question? And where are you going to get married? And, and you know, it, you know it, we celebrate it. It's a successful thing. But when mm -hmm. someone says that they're going to get divorced, we never ask those questions. We never say like, <laughs> tell me the moment when you, were, when you decided to get divorced. And like, did you ask for the ring back? Uh, who, who's the lawyer? <laughs> right. 
But the point is that if you really want to understand how the world works, you need to expose yourself to both success and to failure. Because mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. how failure happens is as important as understanding how success occurs. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will talk more with Charles Suhig, author of Smarter, Faster, Better, about some immediately actionable ideas for becoming even more productive in our job, business, and in personal life. Stay with us. Thanks for joining us with Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. Can you do us a favor? If you're enjoying and gaining useful insights from Growth Igniters Radio, can you let us know by writing a short review on iTunes? Not only does this let us know what you value, your review is one of the most important ways we can reach others who will benefit as well. And now we have a special limited time offer. The first 10 people who submit reviews between September 14th and October 14th, 2016, will receive a complimentary autographed copy of my book, Preventing Strategic Gridlock. Reviewers have said this book is a timeless resource and a great book for overcoming stalls that derail strategic progress, regardless of the economy. To look inside, visit the Preventing Strategic Gridlock page on Amazon.com. Just be one of the first 10 people to contact us by October 14th, 2016 on growthignitersradio.com. Let us know about your new review and we'll get your autographed copy to you right away. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been talking with Charles Duhigg, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter for the New York Times and author of The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better, about the secrets of increasing productivity in all aspects of our lives. Charles, can you tell us again how more people can find out about you and your book? Sure. They, if you just Google smarter, faster, better, or the power of habit, or you can go to my website, which is charlesduhig.com, um, or frankly, just Google me. I'm the only Charles Duhig on earth. Then, <laughs> then they'll learn all about me. Okay. And again, you can find links and other information by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 86, and scroll down under resources. So this is the part of Growth Igniters Radio where we talk about immediately useful tips for people to really accelerate to that next level of success. Let's talk about some of the things that we've been uh, discussing in the previous segment. Specifically, what would some immediately useful tips be to help people stay focused? Well, we were talking before about mental models, right? And the role that mental models right. play in, in helping us remain focused. And, and that's really the key is to, is to build those mental models. Um, in the book, you know, we tell this story through the, the context of um, a story about Qantas Flight 32, which is, mm-hmm. uh, is actually the, the, the worst mid-air mechanical disaster in modern aviation. Yes. And what's interesting about that is that it was a plane that essentially had this huge hole appear in one of the wings. Mm-hmm. And it was able to to land safely because the pilots on board, particularly the captain of the flight, was very, very focused 
on telling himself a story about how his plane operates and mm -hmm. always coming back to that story and, and finding a story that made sense to him. So one of the things that happened is that, you know, the Krebny, who's the, the pilot, the captain of the flight, he starts saying to himself, you know, I need to think of this plane not as, not as a, an Airbus, which is what it was, but instead I'm going to envision it as a Cessna. Because if I think of it, this plane is a Cessna, which is one of the simplest planes on Earth. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a laughable comparison to think of this Airbus A380, which is a hugely com complicated plane, right. as a Cessna, which is a small little hobbyist plane. Mm -hmm. He said, if I think of this plane as a Cessna, it's going to help me decide which alarms to pay attention to and which ones I can ignore. And by doing that, I'll be able to focus on the right things. And that's also how people can succeed at work. Right? As I mentioned, when you walk into your office, there's all these things competing for your attention. Right. If you have kind of a story in your head, you know how to pay attention to the ones that matter and which ones you can safely ignore. So if somebody is listening right now and they want to immediately do something, the thing they can do the most right now is chart out a story about what your day is going to be like today. Yeah, just spend five minutes just sort of thinking about you know, what's going to happen between 9 and 10 o'clock? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen between 10 and 11 o'clock? What is my goal before noon? If you just have a little bit of a story about what you expect to occur, mm -hmm. then you're, you're in a much better position. Good. So now let's talk about taking this focus and apply it to a more effective decision making. How can we do something very practical to increase the quality of the decisions we make. Well, similarly, if you're trying to make a choice, sit down and just on a piece of paper, and again, this takes like 10 minutes, sit down on a piece of paper, write all the possible outcomes that might occur, including outcomes that contradict each other, right? right. Maybe, maybe I, I make this choice and things turn out well. Maybe they turn out badly. Maybe I get promoted. Maybe I get fired. Maybe, maybe part of it turns out well and part of it turns out badly. Maybe, maybe something completely unexpected happens. Just brainstorm. Try and think as big as you can. What might occur? And okay. then, then look at that list and ask yourself, which of these seems more or less likely to happen? Mm. Right? Now, now, you're not going to be able to say with precision like what the odds of any outcome are. But there's some that you're going to be able to dismiss right away. You're going to say, you know, nobody ever gets fired for making this kind of choice. So I don't need to worry about mm -hmm. that. And, and, you know, actually, nobody ever gets promoted for making this kind of choice either. Right? This is a tough choice. Right. And it's just part of my job. And... And nothing ever turns out exactly right. Although I think that this is going to be pretty all right. And, and the parts that are going to go wrong, I'll bet you those are things that I can handle. Right? Just forcing yourself to think through all the possibilities and then asking yourself which is more or less likely. Mm -hmm, it'll mm -hmm. give you a sense of how to make that decision better by figuring out what are the things that you should actually be worried about and what are the things that like might you know be, be causing you anxiety. But once you think about them, they're not really that big a deal. They're nothing you have to spend that much time worrying about. So we've become more focused. We've been able to have something that we can immediately make a decision about. Mm -hmm. What about encouraging innovation? What could they immediately do to become more innovative? Well, first of all, we have to figure out what we want to be innovative about, right? Like, uh -huh. let's, say, let's say somebody has given you a specific assignment. They've said, come up with a new marketing campaign or, okay. or go figure out how to solve this problem. Right. So the first thing you should do is just sit down and instead of trying to come up with some brand new artistic out of nowhere idea, just start asking yourself, 
what are the most cliched concepts I can come up with that are related to this question I'm trying to answer, right? Mm -hmm. What are the old worn over ideas or innovations that everyone knows? Just make a list of them. And then start Mm -hmm. asking yourself, can I combine those in ways that seem new and interesting? Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm trying to come up with a new marketing campaign, let's say for some new type of cola, a drink, well, mm-hmm. there's lots of old tired ideas. There's having a drink with your family. There's, you know, Christmas time. There's a, right. hot, a cold right. drink on a hot day. So let's just write a whole bunch of those. Now, which of those, which of those have never been seen together before? Maybe mm-hmm. it's, maybe it's a, a family on a hot day and there's some kind of joke I can make about that. Hmm. Once you admit to yourself that it's okay to look at cliched ideas and that innovation comes from putting old ideas together in new ways, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of pressure off you and you can start mixing and matching ideas to see which of them sparks something interesting. Okay, yeah, so sometimes looking for the ridiculous or looking to something that is completely outside of what you're thinking about, that can really spark that that click. That's right. Okay. Actually, I used to work in the oral care industry and anti-tartar tartar control toothpaste. Uh, the idea for tartar control toothpaste came from the uh, water uh, waste treatment industry where they used uh, chemicals to prevent rocks from building up inside the pipes. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, people were sitting around, you know, thinking about this hard stuff on the teeth. Well, how can we stop it without poisoning ourselves? Ah, this stuff in the water treatment industry is not toxic, and it works. Well, so, and what's interesting about that is that if you're looking to, for sort of practical applications, is uh-huh. that one of the things that suggests is that is that what we should do is we should also be intellectually curious. We should expose right. ourselves to ideas that might not be might not be sort of run-of-the-mill ideas that we would necessarily see all the time, mm-hmm. right? There, there's always this instinct in keeping with focus mm-hmm. to, to be on task, to be, to be focused on the things that matter to us. But part of being an intellectual broker is also about allowing yourself to learn and be exposed to ideas right. that might not otherwise come across your desk on a regular basis. That's right. That's why we love talking to people who don't know anything about what we do, and we don't know <laughs> anything about what they do, and boom, it comes together, and ho, oh, there's, there's that light bulb. That's yeah. true. Oh, this, is, this has been great. There are so many more things in your book I wish we could talk about today, but uh, if you could sum it up for right now, what would you say would be a final thought on the secrets of being more productive in life and business? Well, I would say that what's most important is that anyone can become more productive. Anyone anyone can become more successful. It's not that there's some people out there who went to the right schools or they, they, they're sufficiently smart or they have, they have enough you know, money or, or they, they're hired by a fancy company. That's not why productivity happens. The reason why productivity happens is because people decide to take control of the choices that they're making and they decide to start cultivating habits that allow them to think more deeply. Right? They, they say in the morning, instead of just you know, trying to plow through emails on the subway or, or when I'm waiting for my bus, I'm, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to try and visualize my day. I'm going to build a mental model about what I want to accomplish today. Or, or when someone asks for, for someone to, to solve some problem, to come up with some new innovative idea, instead of saying, I, I don't, I'm not an artist, I can't do that, they say, I'm just going to go and I'm going like, to play around with ideas. I'm going to see if I can come up with two ideas that 
are both on their own kind of cliches, but together, together they seem interesting in a new way. That is how anyone can become more productive, and anyone can do that. Charles, thanks again for being our guest on Growth Igniters Radio. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Charles. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 86. Until next time, this is Pam Harper. And Scott Harper. Wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to consider. What's one thing I've learned today that can help me make the biggest difference in my life and business? And what am I going to do about it? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.